Well, good morning. If I had to pick one word that I would use to describe the world in which we live today, the word that I think I would choose is angry. I just think we live in an angry world, and I'm not just talking about our, our country here. I think there's a lot of anger here, but as I look around the world, there's just anger that's spilling out into the streets all over the world. And it seems like something has changed. I mean, I think anger's always been part of the human condition, but it just seems like some things have changed. This past week, I was reading in the newspaper a letter that someone wrote to one of the advice columnists wondering what to do about a situation. This woman wrote, I have this friend and I recently discovered that she's of a different political party than I am. She said, I thought we were on the same page about all these social issues and everything else and then I find out she's a blank and I don't know what to do about it. I mean, can I be this person's friend anymore or is our friendship over? What do you think? And when I read the question, I thought, if you have to ask the question, something's wrong. But I know that there's a lot of anger out there. We just don't know how to deal with it when people have disagreements with us anymore. It used to be we could be a lot more civil about it, but things somehow have changed. Now, maybe we can blame it on the inflammatory nature of the political climate in which we find ourselves. Certainly, that is been polarizing. Maybe we can blame it on the fact that there's just a disagreement out there concerning whether or not our planet's going to survive for the next 12 or 20 years. Maybe it has to do even partly with foreign governments that are planting things in our social media. We read those things and we're, we're being more and more divided. I think a lot of these types of things are happening. I'm not sure that we've ever been so divided, at least culturally, of any time in our history except perhaps that period of time that led up to the Civil War, and I hope that's not where things are headed. But a big part of it is we don't know what to do with our anger. We don't know what to do with people with whom we disagree. Merriam-Webster defines anger as emotional excitement induced by intense displeasure. Emotional excitement induced by intense displeasure. Some of the synonyms they give for anger are to enrage, incense, infuriate. Ire, mad, madden, steam up, annoy, irk, vex, aggravate, exasperate, irritate, nettle, provoke, boil, boil over, bristle, burn, flare up, fume, rage, seethe, to breathe fire, fly into a rage, get hot under the collar, get one's blood or dander up, hit the ceiling, lose one's temper, see red. It's hilarious, all the different words and phrases that are used to describe this this emotion that we call anger. Now, when I was growing up, I believed that anger was all wrong. By the way, the antonym of anger, according to Webster's, is to calm down, which is not easy to do. But I grew up thinking that all anger was wrong, that all anger was sin, that anger was not to be expressed in my household. In fact, I, I was of the opinion that if you even feel angry, you're sinning. It's just, it's not a good thing. And so, in my household, I didn't see a lot of anger displayed. I mean, my brothers and I sometimes got angry with one another, but not much. I don't remember ever seeing my mom angry. 
And I can only think of one occasion when my dad was, although I'm sure there were more, maybe I'm just glossing over it, but the occasion that I can think of was a time that we were on vacation and we were traveling with this pop-up trailer attached to our car. And so every night, the six of us in our family and our two dogs were cramped into that camper. And at a certain point, my dad was like, I can't stand it anymore. I mean, this happened to me once when we were driving on vacation. I don't usually, I don't use the, the term shut up. But we were driving once and it just got me. And I finally like screamed, shut up. And their eyes, all my kids like, ah. Like dad's losing it, you know. I just, well, my, my dog uh, nipped at my dad, growled and nipped at it my dad and he grabbed the dog by the ruff of the neck and, and threw the dog across the camper. The dog never um, did that again with my dad. He discovered who the alpha dog was in the household. It was my dad. But even in my household, the dogs weren't allowed to get angry. And I viewed it was wrong. Now some of you were thinking, isn't that good? You live in a household where there's not a lot of anger and maybe you're thinking in your household it was just, it just was toxic, the amount of anger. So you, you, you must be blessed to be in that situation. No, see, anger is present. It's just, if you, if you don't express it, what do you do? You internalize it. it. Begins to eat yourself up inside and there are lots of things I just stuff down here instead of expressing my anger. Not all anger is bad. In fact, we were created by God in his image, and God gets angry. Now, that might surprise some of you. In Psalm 7 and verse 11, we read these words, God is a righteous judge and a God who shows his wrath every day. Wow. A God who shows his wrath every day? The word wrath here comes from a Hebrew word that means to foam at the mouth. It could be translated enraged, to have indignation, to show anger. And you say, wow, I just didn't, I don't think of God that way. As a God who has anger, a God who has wrath. Of course, Jesus, we saw a few displays of anger with Jesus. You remember the two times that he cleared the temple of the money changers, that it was the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry on both occasions, we read that zeal for his father's house consumed him. He walked in, he saw what was going on, and he became angry and he began to tip over all the money changers, tables, and, and get rid of all those animals. He was filled with anger, although the things that made Jesus the most angry were the occasions where he saw the hard-heartedness of people toward the, the needs of other people. It says, when Jesus saw their hard-heartedness, he was, and it's a very strong word in the Greek language, he was indignant. He became so angry at that. So anger is not always bad. But there's a difference between God's anger and ours many times. God never gets it wrong. God never blows it. God never crosses the line. God never has a holy temper tantrum. Every time I think of this, I think, boy, what if God could have a temper tantrum? Like, he'd just lose it one day and, and just pop, there goes the planet, you know? Our God never loses it. My favorite quote on the subject of anger comes from Aristotle, who wrote, anyone can be angry 
That is easy, but to be angry with the right person to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, that is not easy. And I agree with him. And some of you perhaps have found yourself in a situation where you feel like you are trapped in your anger. It's a constant companion in your life. Well, today I want to look at a few verses that address this subject. There are so many more that we could look at, but I want to look at a few verses that are found in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to begin by looking at verses 26 and 27. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, where we read, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. I want to make this observation, first of all, that the phrase, be angry, in the original language in which the Bible is written is an imperative. It's actually a, a command. So some versions of the Bible translate this, in your anger, don't sin. That's not the correct translation. The correct translation is be angry, just don't sin. Just don't let it cross the line into sin. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Vincent, a scholar, puts it this way, righteous anger is commanded, not merely permitted. It's not always wrong. But it does have to be handled in the right way. Now, Paul here was quoting from David in the Old Testament, Psalm 4 and verse 4, when he said, be angry and do not sin. It's what David said. And then David goes on to say, meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Just stay there and you just be still. And and I think the spirit of it is give it over to God. But Paul added something a little different here, and it's our first key to kind of keeping anger in its place to getting a situation where our anger is a, maybe a more of a godly thing and not an ungodly thing. He talks about not letting the sun go down on your anger. And so my first takeaway is diminish it with a deadline. You begin to strip anger of its power when you do not let it fester, when you don't let it rot, which is what happens sometimes. The image that comes to my mind, and I'm not sure why, but have you ever uh, worked out at a gym and uh, you had a good workout and so your clothes were really sweaty and then you threw them in the hamper and then you walked into the room about two, three hours later or perhaps even the next day? Now, my clothes always smell good. I'm, this is purely hypothetical. But have you ever walked in and you're like, oh, it's like rancid. It's like, ooh, Wow. That's what anger can be like. You see, I think we're all guilty of this. I know I've been guilty of it. We rehearse it. We hold on to it. We, we, over and over, we go over what the person said. They said this, they said this. Sometimes to other people, we do it. We rehearse the way they offended us, the way they bothered us. We just love to keep rehearsing this thing. And Paul said, don't let the sun go down on that anger. Don't let the sun set on that anger. I don't know if he's speaking literally like as soon as the sun goes down, the anger's got to be gone, but he is clearly saying, don't hold on to this thing. Now, I think the spirit of it is learn to give it to God and go to bed. I I think that's really the heartbeat of this thing. I, I don't think the idea is just stop getting angry. Some things, as I'll see in a minute, we'll see in a minute, 
Some things should make us angry. But give it to God and say, Lord, this is yours. I hand this thing over to you because if you don't do this, he says something's going to happen. He says you're going to give the devil, as this version puts it, you give the devil an opportunity. When we don't, when we don't diminish this thing and put a deadline on this thing, and we let it to go, you give the devil an opportunity. The actual word there could be translated a foothold or a place from which to operate. And so you realize that when we allow this anger to continue in our lives, we're giving a place for the devil to work in and through it and in and through us to carry out his plans, his will, his destruction. And we've seen it happen time and time again. People hold on to their anger. They hold on to their anger, and eventually they do something horrific. You say, how did that happen? They give, give the devil a foothold. They give an opportunity. But what if we could strip it a little bit of its power? We diminish it with a deadline. We keep short accounts. But there's another way that we can keep anger in its place, in addition to diminishing it with a deadline, is to diffuse it with kindness. One of the wisest men who ever lived was Solomon. He wrote in Proverbs 15 and verse one, he said, a gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. If you read the book of Proverbs, by the way, if you struggle with anger, a lot of anger, I encourage you to read the book of Proverbs because there are all kinds of verses about anger in the book of Proverbs. It talks about how anybody could lose it takes a person with self-control, someone with wisdom, someone with understanding that doesn't just fly off the handle every time they get angry about something. But a gentle answer is one way in which we diffuse the situation. And this has to do with not only how we answer, but I think how we view the other person who has wronged us. Look at Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. It comes a few verses after, obviously verse 26. Paul wrote, all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander must be removed from you along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Let me talk about each of these verses separately. He starts by saying, all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, slander, all of those things should be removed from you along with all malice. One of the words that Paul uses for anger in that verse is oddly the same ver word he used in verse 26. And so we have to ask the question, I don't know what to do with that. Verse 26 said, be angry. It's, I'm telling you, it's a command. Be angry, but don't sin. And then you get to this verse, and it says all anger and wrath and bitterness and malice and slander and, and shouting, or shouting matches is the idea there should be put away from you. And you say, well, which one is it? Are we to do it or are we not to do it? Well, there's a kind of anger that you should do. And it's always right. It's always appropriate. And there's a kind of anger that you should never do. And it's always wrong. It shows the double nature of this thing to realize that it's awful hard to get the anger thing right. To realize that the, the same anger that's appropriate in one situation is an anger that would be sinful in another situation. 
Now you say, well, how could anger ever be a good thing? Well, I think it brings about good change sometimes. Sometimes things will not change unless you get really angry about it. It can really serve some, some good where everything's status quo and things are not good and then somebody gets really angry about it and it catches everyone's attention. It's like, we got a problem here. I've seen this happen in marriages before. Maybe the wife. It could be either, but maybe the wife's been trying to get her husband's attention for a long time. Nothing's changing. And then she just loses it. She just gets really, she just really gets angry, really, really angry, and suddenly the guy, it's like he wakes up from a sleep, like, oh, I didn't realize. I'm in trouble. Like, this is a mess. I think we should get angry about things because things sometimes need to change. We better be stirred by things. I read things in the newspaper that make me furious. In fact, sometimes I just can't even, I don't even want to read it because it makes me so mad. I don't want to read it, by the way, because often I can't do a thing about it, so I don't want to hold on to that thing anyway. But I think anger sometimes is going to serve a good purpose. But in the one verse, Paul says, get angry. The next verse, he says, get rid of all anger. It's, it's the kind of anger, I think, that's misappropriate and doesn't serve good. But I want to note something else about this verse, this verse 31 here. He says, all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, slander. There are different words he uses for anger here. Of course, there's a type of bitterness. Anger is the same word from the previous verse. He talks about wrath here. Shouting again is shouting matches. Slander is, is speaking against others. Malice is trying to get even with people. He says get rid of all these things. But there are different kinds of anger. And I think it's important to recognize that as well. The kind of anger that could be good or bad, based on which verse you read here, is, is the slow simmering kind of anger. It's the kind of anger that, that can lead many times to revenge. That's when it crosses over into sin. But it's the kind that you, it just, you just allow it to keep fermenting within you. That's that kind of anger. It's the kind of anger I read about a few years ago. A truck driver was driving through Broken Bow, Nebraska. He came to one of these all-night uh, diners and parked his rig, went inside. He ordered a burger, fries, and some coffee. He's eating his food when three bikers come in of more the hell's angels type. Loud, angry, and they come over to where he was sitting and one of them grabbed his burger and began to eat it. Another one grabbed some of his french fries and the third grabbed his coffee and took a sip from it. And the guy just kind of sat there for a little bit and then he, he, he pulled out his wallet, pulled out some money, grabbed his check, dropped some money and the check by the cash register and just walked out. And then he jumped in his truck and pulled away. And right after he left, the waitress was standing there and one of the bikers said, he sure wasn't much of a man, was he? And the waitress said, I don't know what kind of a man he is, but he's a lousy truck driver. He just ran over three motorcycles in the park. <laughs> now that's the one kind of anger, it's kind of, it's in there. You don't necessarily show it, but it crosses over into doing something to hurt and harm. It leads to malice, trying to get even with someone. 
The other kind of anger is an explosive type. Have you ever had that? I had a boss that was like this. He, he was angry. He was angry. He was so angry, so hated that when I accidentally electrocuted him, which I, I did, <laughs> wasn't all my fault. He flew off the ladder. Everybody clapped. They clapped when he flew off the, the ladder. They hated him. It's the kind of anger, it's like, well, I, I, I get angry and then I get over it. Yeah, it's like shrapnel. You get angry and you do all your damage and then you move on, you feel better. I got that off my chest. And you, all the walking wounded all around you, that's the second kind of anger. That's the, that's the one. Get rid of that. But he talks about, again, slander and this desire to get even. All bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. But he doesn't just say, get rid of those. He says, replace them with something else, which is my second point here, to diffuse it with kindness. What should we be instead? Well, he says in verse 32, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. We respond with kindness. We respond with compassion. We respond with forgiveness. What if we viewed people more through that lens? You mistreat me, but I'm going to respond to you in kindness. You mistreat me. I, I view it through the lens of maybe compassion. You know, I, I think of the, the student that waited for me outside the locker room when I was a freshman in high school to want to beat me up, the bully. What if I could look at him through a different lens and say, you know, his... He's that way because there's some brokenness there. There's just real brokenness there. It would, it would change the way I would view him, I suppose, if I could learn to forgive him as Christ has forgiven me and say, well, I, I, I've done wrong things and, and God has overlooked it. Paul began Ephesians 4 with some similar words. In verse 1 of Ephesians 4, he said, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. With all humility, gentleness, patience, and acceptance of the other person. What if... What if we could be more this way? What if we could examine the occasions where there's been a, a real exchange of anger back and forth and we ask ourselves the question, was I humble? Or ask, was I, was I patient in this situation, you know? Did I handle this with gentleness? It's the word meekness. It means to have strength under control. The Greek word for meekness is usually, it's a word that's used of actually training wild horses. A wild horse has tremendous strength, but you, if you don't harness the strength, then it just, it just you, you, you couldn't do any good with the horse, and so you've gotta get the strength under control. That's what meekness is. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. They're the ones who will inherit the earth. You think, no, blessed are the ones who fight for it, no? There's a mystery there, but it's, it's the Jesus way. It's, I know it's different. That's it, or the meek, strength under control. 
And if we could learn to just evaluate ourselves, or I think what Jesus was getting at when he said, take the log out of your own eye first. An awful lot of situations could be diffused if we would just stop and look at first here and ask, to what degree am I to blame for this situation? What did I do to cause this? Even if yours was only the one-tenth percent, you deal with that. You've all been in situations where you saw it worked. You were angry with someone and, and they had wronged you and then they came back and they owned up to something and you say, wow, there's some humility there and it, it creates a context where peace can begin to take over. If we want to keep anger in its place, we diminish it with a deadline. I think we can diffuse it with kindness. We do not have to respond as people respond to us. And third, I think we deal with it as Christ has dealt with us. Let's read verse 32 again where he writes, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Be kind and compassionate, forgiving as God also forgave you. Follow the example of Jesus. Follow the example of God. This is, again, our God is gracious and compassionate. Do you remember that Moses in the Old Testament asked God to reveal himself to him? He said, God, show me your glory. Reveal yourself to me. And so God accommodated him, and God passed by Moses on Mount Sinai in what's called the Shekinah glory. It was an was amazing glory of God passing by, but as God passed by, a display of his absolute holiness, he proclaimed what he's like. He said, I'm gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. Gracious and compassionate, it takes a lot to get me angry. I'm filled with this loving kindness toward you. Of course, Jesus had just displayed, or God had just displayed an amazing amount of, of overlooking. Because this incident happened right after they had crafted a, uh, an idol, right after he'd made an agreement with them to say, I'll be your God, you'll be my people. The first thing God said to them in the Ten Commandments is don't make idols, and then what do they do? They, they, Moses is gone a little too long, they craft an idol, and it's right after this. Our God is slow to anger. He does get angry every day. Some things should get us angry, but he's slow to anger. And Jesus, I think of how he hung on the cross, and he looked at the wretches down below that had put him up there, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This idea of, of forgiving people that have wronged us, and this idea of not being angry with people that are angry with us, and being kind instead of paying back people what they deserve, it would absolutely make no sense except if our God were like this, and if, if we were not now believers in Christ. When, when Paul began in Ephesians 4, he, he said there that as God's called ones put on compassion and all these other things, as God's called ones, it's very noteworthy that the book of Ephesians spends three whole chapters talking about how amazing God's love is for us, how we're forgiven, how we're loved, we're God's people, we, our, our sins have been paid for by the blood of Christ, redeemed in other words, a price was paid for us. We have been given eternal life. Your e eternity in heaven is secure. All of this while you are an enemy of God's. While you are an enemy of God's. 
Christ died for us. And after enumerating all the amazing things that are true about us, he starts with chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, as God's called people, your father's like that. God wants us to be like that as well. Now, I don't expect people that have not had a relationship with God or haven't had their sins forgiven through Jesus Christ, I don't expect them to love well or forgive well, although many times they do. But I don't always expect that. But if we're God's forgiven ones, if we're God's loved ones, then we've experienced his love for us. I know I fail God every single day in thoughts, in words, in deeds. I've not had a perfect day, except maybe the day I was born. I might not have sinned that day. I don't know. But God forgives me. And he loves me. And I didn't deserve it. And so he's given us his example, but on top of that, he's given us the spirit of Christ to live within us. He's given us the power that we need to be different, to treat people different. Now, what do we do with this? Well, sometimes, again, I think our anger, if it's a righteous anger, if it's good anger, sometimes there's something you should do about it. That anger should be a signal for us to say, you know, this thing is bothering me so much, I, I need to do something about it. It is not good what happened. And again, something should make us angry. We're too complacent sometimes. But there's another kind of anger here that's uh, not a good anger. Instead of holding on to it, I think we could diminish it if we say, I'm not going to let the sun go down on this thing. I'm going to give it over to God. We can diffuse it with kindness to say, I will not respond to people the way they have treated me because my God does not respond to me the way I have treated him. We can deal with it as Christ has dealt with us. I don't think any of us, though, could do this or really any of the things we've talked about in this trap series without really the power of Christ who lives within us. It's really Christ in us that leads us to a point of a breakthrough. We really need him to do this because you've tried on your own, I've tried on my own to just stop being angry. It does not work very well. But if you walk in the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness. And so it should point us to this relationship. And so we come to our God to, to change us and we recognize that because our God loves us, He wants to take the things that happened to us that were bad and turn them into something beautiful. Just like the bad thing that happened to Jesus resulted in the most wonderful thing for all of humanity. This time we're going to sing a song for you called Something Beautiful. Let me read some of the words of the song and then I want to, at the end of the song, I'll come back up with some closing words about experiencing that forgiveness we have through Christ. The song goes this way, I need you, I need you to take my pain and make it something beautiful. Take my sorrow, show me it's not mine to hold. If you are here with me in the waiting, even when my heart is breaking, take my pain and make it something beautiful, something beautiful. I want more than a breakthrough. I want you, I want you.
It's almost like I brought a no bow and arrow to a gunfight I'm out of my league, I didn't know what this would feel like And I can't help but feeling let down deep in despair Like I'm praying to a God that's not even there Now I'm on my knees one more time I need you, I need you to take my pain and make it something beautiful. Take my sorrow, show me it's not mine to hold. If you're here with me in the waiting, even when my heart is breaking, take my pain and make it something beautiful. Something beautiful Somehow all my suffering reveals a piece of heaven And there's a resurrection waiting for me on the other side But standing where I am right now, how could I know If I'm ever gonna see another miracle so I'm on my knees one more time I need you, I need you to take my pain And make it something beautiful Take my sorrow, show me it's not mine to hold If you're here with me in the waiting Even when my heart is breaking Take my for the kindness, grace, compassion of our God. None of us would ever be able to stand in his presence at all, but he is gracious and compassionate. See, the problem is we can't fix what we are. We try to clear up the fact that we've sinned and we can't. And there's nothing we can do to fix it. And so God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
that whoever would put their trust in him could have eternal life. Jesus was willing to take the full payment that we all should have paid for the things we've done wrong. Jesus was dying in our place and for our sin. He died for us so that God could extend for us forgiveness. But we don't receive it unless we put our trust in Jesus. That's the requirement that God is looking for. Some of you here today maybe don't know for sure you're forgiven and maybe you don't know if you've experienced the love of God or what God thinks about you. You can know here today by making Jesus the object of your trust. Most do it through a prayer, a simple prayer. Something like, dear God, I know I've blown it. I know I sin. And I need a savior. I need a deliverer. And today I want to put my trust in your son, Jesus, who died in my place and for my sin and rose again. I put my trust in him. Forgive me in Jesus' name. Forgive me because of what he did for me. And when you put your trust in him, you are forgiven. And the spirit of Christ comes to live within you and he begins to change us from the inside out. We become more like Jesus, someone who loved the unlovely. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and forgiveness and kindness. Thank you for Jesus, who was not just an example for us, but it made it possible for us to have a relationship with you and now empowers us to live differently. We want to be like our Savior. As we call ourselves Christians, Lord, we want to be like Christ. So give us the grace to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to talk with someone more about that, beginning relationship with God, or you want someone to pray with you, there'll be some people up front, or you can go to the next step, steps out in the back. Have a great week.